and welcome to Survivor Social, the Survivor podcast where we discuss and disentangle Survivor with a focus on the social elements of the game. My name's David, and as always, I'm joined by my incomparable co-host, Tegwith. And today, boy, do we have a treat for you. Making his first appearance on Survivor Social, we are delighted to have the witty, the compassionate, the effervescent Omer Zahir of Survivor 42. Omer, how are you? Um, thank you for having me. I'm doing well. I am enjoying this season and I'm excited to get into it because it's been, um, I think there's been a mixed reaction, but overall I like it. Absolutely. And do you believe that this season could be nipping at the heels of Survivor 42 as like the best new era season or? Oh, you know, it's a, it's a good question. I find it very difficult for me to compare our season to anything to be honest um so i i really was surprised and actually quite happy that the fans seem to love season 42 but i um i think it's like it's almost comparing apples to oranges for me so it's hard for me to compare 44 to 42 because when i was watching 42 i thought it was really predictable but it's because i knew what happened so <laughs> i think that that's the hard the hard part um but what do you think i think it's incredible so far I'm loving it. It's not quite at 42 level yet, but it could okay. get there. It could, yeah. I'm, uh, uh, let me just say, everybody who I absolutely adored is um, no longer in the game. <laughs> Uh, so the people that I was super stoked to see on screen, um, I don't know if some of y'all know this, I, I I was very lucky enough to have gone to the same college as both Claire and Helen. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't go, I wasn't like friends with them while I was there. I, I, I was friends with help friends friendly with Helen. I didn't know Claire. Uh, and so I was like super rooting for them and then boom, boom, back to back. So a uh, little less excited about it now, but I'm still stoked to see like where that season goes. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. that's fair. Those were two big losses. Honestly, every loss so far has been very big. And I don't know if it's just a reflection of the whole cast being very good or um, the editing doing a good job of connecting us to each person. But um, every week is like a part of us dies. (laughs) Very very well Um, well said. (laughs) Well, let's get into that. Let's let's round up the firing squad. Um, (laughs) But before we get into that, Make sure to like and subscribe to Survivor Now on YouTube and Spotify. And if you have any hot takes of your own that you want to be heard, send us a message at SurvivorSocialPod at gmail.com and we'll read them right here. Speaking of which, we reached out to the public. They knew we were having a special, special guest with us this week and they sent in some questions. So first, we have a question from Melanie who asks, Omer, if you could take someone out of a season of Survivor and replace them with yourself, which season would you choose and whom would you replace? Oh, very interesting question. Um, I think that I would have wanted to be on Survivor David versus Goliath because that seemed like a very good fit for me. You know, I feel like I'm a David in real life. It was one of the best seasons of all time with one of the best casts of all time. And I think if I had to replace somebody, um, I probably would replace the redacted winner because um i would have gotten along with everybody else on that tribe so (laughs) um and i think that you know in terms of like age and not profession but like you know a lawyer veterinarian they're both professional jobs roughly the same age both super fans i feel like um i would have gone in a different direction nevertheless like i think that that would have been a good spot for me 
That's a great choice. I would have loved to see you on David versus Goliath. That would have been a blast. Chad I would have loved you to be the winner of David versus Goliath. Let me just <laughs> <laughs> and, or I guess the other alternative is maybe I should have been on when there was the One World um, South Pacific Redemption Island era, because I think that that would have been easy. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> that Tegwith, what about you? Oh, man. Um, I feel like, um, oh man, I have 40, honestly, I think I would want to be on 44 and I would be in Bruce's spot just because I want to be at Ponderosa with the four people there. Um, maybe that's <laughs> not the best answer in the world. Um, uh, but I think that is the correct answer for me in this moment. That's fair. I respect that. I is think- your head okay in this situation? Um, I wouldn't care, but no, I, I've had I've had two <laughs> concussions so far. What's a third? You know. Good point. Good point. <laughs> I think if I had to choose, I would have to say Guatemala. I'm switching out with Rafe because I would have done exactly what he would have done, except I would not have lost that last immunity challenge, and then I was sat next to Stephanie at the end, and then I would have won. Wait, um, you would have kept around Danny, even though that didn't make any sense. <laughs> Um, that's true. Maybe cut her a little earlier. That's fair. I mean, the first time she did get an advantage and she won that immunity challenge because of the advantage. So yeah, but that's true. Maybe cut, yeah, cut Danny, keep Judd around. Maybe I'll go. Or Lydia, like she should have gone at four, I think. That's true. But she was, didn't they say they thought she was a jury threat? But anyway, we didn't see any of that. Regardless, bring back Lydia. Our next, our next listener question comes from a good friend, Mikey Pow. He asks, what tribe would you most want to be on if you were on season 44? Um, on this season, I think that I would have most wanted to be on Soka. Um, I think that Tika is obviously bomb television, but it's a bit all over the place and not the physically strongest tribe. And so I would not want to go to tribal so much early. I think that Ratu is also full of players um, that are kind of going in their own direction. And it's a little harder, maybe from at least from watching to um, corral them all. Whereas I feel like Soka was full with a bunch of people that were kind of level headed, that were um, people that were similar to me. And I think that I would have gotten along well with pretty much all of them. Um, So I think that that would have been a great spot that was stable and they win challenges a lot. Very smart answer. I would copy and paste. Copy yeah, and paste for me. I, Soko is is the spot because like going into the season. Also, I don't know if like I'm pretty sure there are four or three or four other people are like either triathletes or like iron. They do yeah. like the iron whatever. So like, please surround me with them. Um, like yeah. that would be great. Uh, so yeah, copy and paste, same answer. And you've got the showman to sort of buffer you, and you can throw them under the bus if need be. That is a good answer. That's true. That's true. I don't know who I would replace, though. I feel like either Matt or Josh, but I'm not sure. Either way, like if if I replace Matt, there's no showman's, I guess, or or we never know, but there probably is no showman's. But it would, um, but I don't think that a showman's is that threatening on Survivor anymore. I think it's actually a good shield, to be quite honest, um, because, you know, in this era, everybody can be a threat, but two people that are connected that are protecting you is like the best possible thing to, and it's like, if you have one, you have both. That's great. I think. Absolutely. And if you're Franny and the other person doesn't have a vote, they're probably, they might be the target before you are. So definitely yeah, not a bad thing. Um, 
And then our last question comes from Drew and he asks specifically to you, Omer, what was your audition video like when you uh, applied for Survivor and what did you do to catch the attention of casting? Um, my, I did two audition videos. The first one I think was not great because I mean, I didn't really, I was just like, I'm going to shoot something in three minutes, going to make it start to finish and just send it off and hope for the best. And I think I also didn't really get what they wanted. You know, I was in kind of a lower place in life and like not really happy with my job. And like, there's a lot of stuff going on with my family um, in terms of like sickness. So it was not, I wasn't like at my best. And so I'm like, oh, you know what? I really want to be on the show to like get away from my job. I'm going to blindside them and leave them for two months. And that's not really the energy I think that they want. They want somebody who like really loves their life. And this is something that's enriching. It's not something to kind of get away. Um, and then I didn't really have that feedback though. But the next year I um, applied again. I was kind of in a better place and um, did more of like a cut as opposed to like a, a run through and kind of combined different aspects and, um, and and kind of went for it. And then the feedback that I got from it was that um, I needed to like explain how I would play the game more because I just talked about my life. And so I would kind of, and, and then the revision tape was more like focusing on how my job related to my gameplay and like all of that sort of stuff. And also I chugged a bunch of Diet Pepsi. So I was like super like a level 15. And um, I, I watched it recently and I was like, I'm not really like that all the, like I'm like that maybe 2% of the time, but I was like here. Um, it was very weird to watch again. <laughs> This is a lot of useful information because a lot of people think I've got nothing going on in my life. Might as well just apply for Survivor. That'll give me a break and I won't have to look for a job or I can just delay my responsibilities. But no, it's a very good point. They want people who are enthusiastic about their own life and they can, they, their bullshit detector is is just probably better than anybody else's. So they can tell yeah. you're just using it as an excuse to delay something else in life. So I agree. Yeah, I think they really want somebody who's secure and, and honestly, like, being on the show, you'll do better if you are secure with yourself and you know who you are. And also knowing all the things about yourself that are barriers to succeed. And I think that um, that was served me very well for uh, 21 days. And then as the lethargy and deprivation gets to you, um, you kind of let things slide and kind of the things that, that hold you back in life creep in. And for me, that was like avoidance. And I saw like certain social situations, certain conversations that were happening that um, I avoided investigating because it made me anxious. And that was my default when I was tired and deprived. And I knew that about myself, but had I had that full conscious awareness at the time, I would have kind of went above and beyond that and solved that problem. And I wouldn't have been voted out. So I think knowing yourself and your flaws is like very important. Absolutely. I always, I always say like, I always find it very interesting when somebody goes into survivor and their strategy is like, I'm going to like change this about myself. And I'm like, if I go to work and I am sleep deprived and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be, have a, put a positive face on today. Yeah. I go to work. One thing annoys me and I, on my face, you can read it immediately. Yeah. Like yeah. imagine trying to lie about your job when you're tired, hungry, like annoyed, dirty. I couldn't do it. And so I always feel like if that's your strategy going in, I feel like that's going to be a no-go. But when you're 21 days in, there's no way that you're, even the things that you're like trying to do, you're, there's no way you're going to be able to keep up with everything. Like, you know, so really, uh really a good good uh, good point and i always think about when people come in and try to change themselves when they go into survivor i'm like oh yeah. don't do that please yeah. Un <laughs> unless 
unless you're Brian Heidegg, there's no way that you're just like shutting off your emotions and just going like full robot mode the whole time. It's just not possible. Yeah. I mean, I think um like that being your, I mean, I think I said it in confessional too, like being your authentic self is very important because then people will recognize you and want to work with you. And if, and you see in the history of the show, the people that are hiding things about themselves or their jobs or things in their life, they can't connect as easily with people. And on our season, we saw that a little bit with Romeo, like he was hiding a lot of stuff. Um, like we had no idea he was a producer. We didn't know his real age. We didn't know his real occupation or the things that he accomplished in life. And so he very much avoided social conversations where people were brought together and, you know, leaving the game. I didn't really have a full sense of who he was. And I didn't find that out till after. And I was like, you shouldn't have hit all of that because that would have helped you. Um, and then on this season, you know, you can see Josh is not fully revealing all aspects of himself. So he's not, um, socially connecting with people as well. And that's kind of putting him in and whether people like know whether it people, I think people pick up on that, even if they don't fully, if they're not fully aware of why there's a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Subconsciously, you can tell yeah. that's very true. So Gary Hogaboom, next time you come back, you're no landscaper, <laughs> you're next NFL player. You did it the best out of everyone. I, think. <laughs> I, I agree. Anyway, let's jump into this episode. We start Soka Beach doing yoga, led by Franny. Heidi and Danny decide that they want to align with Franny and Matt and blindside Josh. Little do they know that Josh is going to, you know, switch things up for himself, which I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but what do you think the rationale of Soka was to choose Josh to be the one to go on this adventure? knowing full well that he could potentially get an advantage. I think it's, I'm not sure because I think that he, um, like if maybe they were hoping he would lose his vote because it seemed like Matt came back and was not super happy about that. Or maybe Josh was so adamant about going and then, you know, maybe the other people didn't want to put a target on their back, but I think it is definitely risky. Yeah. I feel like if people are, you know, they're, they're, they're going off of what, has happened in the past and you have seen people go lose their vote. They get an advantage, but uh, they don't really know. Like obviously Soka does not know what that advantage is. Correct me if I'm wrong, because Matt lost both votes. So there's no way that they would know what that advantage could be. Um, And so, I, I mean, maybe they're hoping that it's not an idol. Maybe it's just something on the, on the lower end. Um, but then also, if you think about it, you send Josh, even if he does get an advantage, it still paints a target on his back because if you think that this person might have an advantage, then, you know, easier target to get out if you lose the challenge. So I, I think that it, it's maybe a good choice. And then the fact that I think the two pairs didn't want to break up the the pair. So what if that pair loses his vote? What if Franny loses her vote? Uh, and then there's two people in that pair that don't have a vote. I think it was just like the lesser of three evils. Um, and I think it just ended up being the best case scenario for them. And I do think that that ended up being the best case scenario for Soka in general. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. And then we move on to the most exciting tribe, the one that just gets me going, Tika. They notice that there's the bird cage, it's been tampered with, there are these two red sticks like woven into the cage in the shape of an X. And Carson immediately thinks that it's someone from the tribe and immediately we hear from Carolyn, it was her. And go look for the X elsewhere and that being the fake idol. So long story short, Carolyn hid the, the fake idol in a log and she put the fake X and she hid it while people were asleep. Omar, how how would you feel about doing something really like bold and daring at night? What what's your 
how willing would you be to do that on a scale from one to 10? Um, personally, like I'm not that willing just because I'm so sleepy. Like I usually sleep in, I was always the last one awake. So to pull that off would have been really tough just from that perspective, but I'm, I'm only like, I'm, I'm being lighthearted about it, but I am, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think that in Carolyn's position, that was a really good thing to do. I doubt she did it in the dead of night just because um there's only one like camera there. So it's, it's like, it's not really super easy to sneak off um because then the, the camera can only be around one person. And then what if something happens when they're gone. So it's kind of like a situation where everybody kind of just stays put in the dead of night, but obviously as dawn approaches, you know, there may be more people there and I can't even confirm that because I was sleeping. So I, I wasn't sure, but I, I, I'm assuming that's around when it happened or sunset um, because there's still a bunch of different um, people following around at that point in time. Um, but I think it was very smart and very well done and also very reminiscent of Australian survivor this season where there's a, um, a symbol that they have to find another symbol of it's like the cookie idol but honestly done a little bit better uh and it's just funny that that was done without even knowing that that happened um but i thought that it was very ingenious and very clever and i was very impressed yeah i i was confused so i actually ended up watching the after the episode there was like stay tuned if you watch lingo like you can watch the next like uh like a secret scene or not a secret scene or like a preview of next week's episode and just seeing we just saw like a very small small snippet and i was so confused why carolyn would even go to the trouble of doing the x marks the spot like doing all of that it seemed unnecessary to me and then i actually ended up getting the context of it and i actually think this is a very clever very cool like little move because everyone was curious as to why the the bag was open the drawstring was open all of this stuff and uh and i think it ended up kind of causing a little bit more chaos so that it, people kind of forgot about that other stuff because of this like red x and i think the sticks are like a perfect find uh and i just think it was like super fun really good television and very very clever what was Wait. the secret lingo clip? I never. Oh never yeah. There was an episode. So there's lingo was happening after survivor, which is like wordle. Uh, and it's literally already canceled. Like they stopped airing it. It's no longer on television anymore. Um, and after the episode aired on CBS last week, they said, stay tuned. There's going to be a, uh, extended preview of next week's episode of survivor. Uh, and we had to watch like 15 minutes of this lingo episode. <laughs> and <laughs> It was just like Carolyn talking about the X and like the very beginning part of that. So it's not, it wasn't even like a secret scene. It wasn't like, uh, it was just literally an extended little. Oh, okay. Um, and it, I thought it was, you know, kind of fun. It did. We did watch 15 minutes of lingo, but we did turn it off immediately afterwards. So <laughs> don't know that it really worked to keep the people watching. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm pretty sure RuPaul hosts lingo. So I'm, I'm, so flabbergasted that it's been canceled. <laughs> RuPaul is a television juggernaut and I am quite offended by this. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Carolyn is an org. She's, she's an org veteran and she, I feel like she's got a lot of tricks up her sleeve. So the fact that she came up with this, I can't say that I'm very surprised. I think that's something in, that viewers should probably keep in mind is that Obviously, she hasn't been out on the on the island and actually been a survivor contestant. But in terms of trying to formulate ideas and plot and scheme, she's no newbie and she's probably got a lot of experiences that she can draw upon. So when she has those that social acumen and she can say, 
for example, I think Carson is the most, you know, well, well adjusted or the most well ingratiated to everybody on the tribe. She has decent reads and I think it surprises people because she's so kooky, but she does have some experience in terms of reading other people and playing a game like this. Granted, from the comfort of her own home, so it's obviously very different, but similar experiences in that strategic way of thinking. Um, I mean, I think people really need to like understand now that the casting of the show is very different than it was before in that, you know, they don't really cast people that can't win for the most part anymore. Like everybody there knows strategy to some extent and knows what to do, even if they don't seem like they know what they're doing. And that is that has been the um, almost like the uh, lesson of the new era is that these people that are larger than life and that are um distracting from a personality perspective they usually those people like coach um like philip like debbie they don't although debbie had some strategic chops and and philip and coach did their multiple times out as opposed to their first ones but um you know initially at least they didn't really know like what they were doing and but people now even if they have a big distracting personality do and if you don't realize that or underestimate that that's when you'll get cut like marianne had a big and when she started crying when jackson left like sobbing and sobbing everyone had an idea of her um and it allowed her to kind of go under the radar and be underestimated gabler obviously was underestimated to some extent and then now somebody like carolyn as well let me just say, I'd just be so here for Carolyn Wynn. I think that in my yeah. opinion is like, that's the goal for this season for me is Carolyn to win 44. Let me just I'd say, down. put that on the table. <laughs> I, I hope I so. I think of a better outcome personally. Yeah. Uh, things keep going Carolyn's way because Sarah then spots the two red sticks and the X that Carolyn planted. And she is the one who finds the fake idol and she is thrilled. And then Carolyn realizes that she duped someone and she is thrilled. And we take all this enthusiasm and we bring it to the reward challenge, you know, as Tegwith likes to say, same thing, different font. And actually Tegwith, I think this would be a great time for you to share something that you heard that you told me about earlier. Oh no, what did I say? You told me a little tidbit that you heard on a certain podcast hosted by one Jeffrey oh, Rose. yes. So I was told earlier, I don't know if you listen to On Fire with Jeff Probst. Um, I don't. Um, <laughs> and But my, my boyfriend does kind of. And he said that Jeff was asked about like, how, why are these like challenges the same thing? Like everyone kind of knows what's coming up. And Jeff is like, I, we did it purposely. I don't know how much I believe, but he, we did it purposely because he likes when people have practiced the challenge and like have memorized it and built it home, built it at home. And he thinks it's like good, I, I, good, good television, I guess. Uh, and that to me is wild. Um, yeah. Fun little, do you feel like Jeff actually really does like that? Um, I feel like in the past that probably would have annoyed him, but like maybe now they're embracing that. I don't know if I necessarily agree just because I think if you look at something like a puzzle, like what does that test that test the, you know, mental acumen to figure something out on the spot and on the spot being like the operating, like understood part of a puzzle. So the art of like memorizing a particular puzzle is not really testing what a puzzle is testing and so then it becomes kind of weird to me like even the puzzle that i won 
at the final six. Like I went back and looked at the previous seasons after that, and I'm pretty sure it's the same like cut out you know it's it's a it could be the same puzzle but with different shapes but like now looking back I'm like oh I guess I could have gone back and like literally memorized that the the two because for that puzzle it's like it's like symmetrical right like it's a compass and and the thing that what they didn't show on the show is like everybody got caught up for a very long time because we had a piece that was straight at the bottom along with an l-shaped one and then we all kind of did that and we're trying to build it up and then it wouldn't fit. But what we didn't realize is that there's two flat ones that needed to be together. Mm-hmm. And like, that is the solution to the puzzle. And once you know that the rest of it just builds from there and looking back at previous seasons, like when they did in Kageon and winners at war, like it was the same. And so I think that that like us figuring that out in the moment was like more interesting to me. Whereas just having known that going into it, I think would have been less interesting. And if they wanted to test people's memories, I do know that they have a challenge that was a memory challenge that they literally could do where they yeah. have you know, the things in a line and like, yeah. if you want to test people's memories, like do that. We don't need to see what people learned at home. This isn't a test. I mean, yeah. And even test, like the snake not, one, like right? even the snake one, like make it like do that thing, but like make it a different shape or like a twist to it. I feel like, I think that that's, that's, that to me is more interesting. So even if you practice the snake shape, like it's not exactly the same. And so those skills are transferable, but they're not um, copy and paste. Mm-hmm. Yep. Down with copy and pasted puzzles. And speaking of copy and pasted challenges onto a challenge that we've seen before. So <laughs> contestants have to climb up a ladder, do the whole run over cargo net, launch the sandbags at targets. And what I found interesting was each player had to hit a target. I like that though. <laughs> I like, because I think everyone has to pull the pull their weight. And first place gets a big tarp, second place gets a smaller tarp. I think that's a great reward. And most importantly, the winning tribe gets to decide which player from each tribe gets to go on a special journey. A special journey that just shook it all up. Notable things that happen during this challenge, Danny does yet another somersault. Quite a fan. I think that might be becoming his thing. Um, Carolyn is struggling to release said bags and shrieks like a banshee every time she releases them. And at the end of the day, Soka wins. And oh, also Matthew, whose arm was in a sling, still manages to pull his weight and release the bag. Very impressed by his tenacity. You go, Matthew. Mm-hmm. And Retu comes in second place. And Tika, poor little Tika, does not win anything. And Soka, as we talked about before, chooses and they choose Josh from their own tribe. Then they choose Carson from Tika and Jamie from Ratu. And again, still kind of confused about their choice to choose Josh, but they're prerogative and um, this will give him a chance to actually save himself. So I would love to hear um, why they chose Jamie because I kind of get why they chose Carson. Uh, I would love to hear like like somebody's like just their thought process of why they chose Jamie, because that one kind of caught me off guard. I don't know who I thought it was going to be, but I did not think it was going to be her. I wonder if she's like, she seems like her energy seems very infectious. Um, So I wonder if like, she has this radiant energy that they've picked up upon. Cause like there is a lot of subtle um, body language and there's also a lot of um, nonverbal communication that I feel like happens just based on vibes there. So like, 
and, and it could also be just one person wanted that. Like even on our season, like we sent Chanel because I vibed with her pregame, you know, like we were at Ponderosa and I just felt a connection. So I was like, I want to send her to get something for her and like, maybe we can connect about it. And so it could be something as simple as that, or it could be on a broader level where she's um, giving them good vibes. That's a good I would assume it's a good thing and not a bad thing, but I guess that's the other side of things. Like maybe they're like, let's put a target on her back. But I just, I think that's a weird choice for this early in the game. I agree. Yeah, I think so too. And how do you feel, Omer, about the fact that these, these little ventures, these special journeys have changed to the point where, especially the first time they had to go this season, you had to risk your vote. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean... What I like about it is that they're changing it from season to season now. So it's not as predictable. And I, it, it makes it more, more room for players to also like tell their own version of the truth. And the other thing I like it about it this season is that each time it seems, seems different. So like, you know, it's not like last season, it was basically the same dilemma every time. Whereas this one, you know, my initial concern about the first episode was like the way it's been, there's no room for people to like really lie because um, they'll get caught in the lie. But now knowing this and like players moving forward are going to know that they can make up a story as long as it's a good lie, not a stupid lie that they can maybe um, get away with something. So I like that it's completely different. Um, I don't love the no choice aspect to it, but also there's a choice in whether you go at all to begin with. So I don't hate it as much. Like you don't, you truly don't know what you're getting into when you go decide to go on that journey. So if it's something that you don't want to do, then you should not go to begin with. So I have less of a problem with that. I think that the um, immunity idol for sure in each group in each for each person was a little overpowered. And I, I think a lot overpowered. I think that you know, there was probably, I think there's um like a more medium creative way to do it that wasn't so extreme. Because I also think like swapping one person would be like China, like it kind of screws them over um, unnecessarily. Um, so I, I do like the opportunity to maybe get something, but I don't think that everybody should have gotten one. And I think that there should have been a risk to doing so. Um, so yeah, I think that I like, I love the fact that they did a swap in a non-conventional way and that was unexpected, but I think that the, that part was a bit OP for me. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were overdue for a swap, but I think that the way they went about it with the immunity idols was a, bit, a little bit much. I know, Tug, with you have some thoughts about this and how it could have been reformed, at least the idol part of it. Yeah, it just seems like, I mean, there are so many, I mean, I uh, I saw a TikTok where Lauren Ashbeck literally was like, yeah, there are more idols in the game right now than there are women in the game, which is actually tr true. Um, and it's uh, just like, that's just a, wild to me. Um, but I was, I think it's weird that like each person has a, an idol that is good. I mean, I obviously it expires, but it still is like a good idol for a couple of tribals. I was thinking like, if they wanted to give everybody an idol, just so that the person who goes to tribal doesn't get screwed, if they don't like, I mean, they could obviously not play the idol, but make it so that that idol is just good for the next tribal council, mm -hmm. not your next tribal council. Yeah. So that they're all dead after this tribal council. Um, that maybe means that like, you know, then they're definitely going to play it, which is also an, an issue. Like, I think that there are, there are other different ways to do this. And I think just giving everybody an idol stinks. I also was not a huge fan of like having them go in separate paths when they're all doing the exact same thing. Like it seemed, I don't love it when 
like, like the shot in the dark die. I don't love it when I can't see like the person draw, like it should be a roll of the die. Like I, I don't like it when here's the words that I'm trying to say. I don't like it when I think that the producers could be putting some outside influence into it. So in this way, they're drawing out of a bag, but how do they know that they're not going to all draw the same buff? You know what I mean? So there's no way that all mm-hmm. three buffs are in the bag, which means that where they go in theory would mean like what tribe they're going to go to, which I think feels like outside influence from the producers. What I think it should have been is just like, they're all there. There's one sign and it's just hand your buff to the next person. And that's your new tribe. Yeah. Something where it's, you, you know, obviously it's not going to be a, a luck of a draw, but we all know it was not going to be a luck of a draw. Cause what if they drew the same tribe or what if whatever it is, I don't know. So I think, I think they probably had like, um, like the other two buffs in each bag. I think they also then got lucky that everybody drew a different one and not, there were no two people going to the same tribe. You think so? I, I think, I think that would make the most sense because they, I don't think that they would pick the path that they're taking. I think that they're told which path to go to would be my guess, but I obviously don't know for sure. But Yeah, that makes sense. And the other only qualm that I have with this whole thing, which I would love to hear both of your thoughts about um, is this was brought up when I was watching the episode, they said when they first got there, like, Oh, you're going on a journey, take this time to get to know each other. And then they just cut to the end. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I want to see them get to know each other. Yeah. Agreed. If we we get to see Brandon's apple pie that he baked and we get to hear all of his backstory and you see the nice little lattice top, then I think we get to see the backstories that they're sharing with each other when they're bonding. Yeah, I also I, like this as an opportunity moving forward of like, I, I think this would be cool if they, I, I could be the only one that thinks this, but like, if you had like three pre-merged journeys that the people going could switch tribes basically every time so that it creates like a, like a semi-new dynamic, but it's not like so different that it's like too chaotic. Like, I think that that could be cool. Or it could be a situation where like, you could have a chance at an advantage or something like they've done but like you also may switch tribes if you take that risk or you could stay on your own tribe like i think that that would be cool anything unpredictable and i think that's unpredictable yep. you know unpredictability is survivor's best friend in my opinion and i think that that right there isn't unpredictable because if you know that you're going to go on a journey and you're going to get an idol or you have a chance to have an idol or whatever it is um but you also could have this bad thing that's not just losing a vote but maybe it is maybe it's this maybe it's this just unpredictability i think is yeah. is survivor's survivor's best friend definitely i think they all should have drawn like a completely different colored buff and those three should have formed their own mini tribe. That's right. Oh, interesting. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Anyway. um, Take notes, producers, next time. We're here. We got the idea. (laughs) So just to clarify, so Josh is now on Tika. Carson is now on Ratu. And Jamie is now on Soka. And I think first we get Josh going to Tika and I love immediately Sarah just what we perceive as randomly asks hey so are you a surgeon like that's a normal thing to just ask someone out of the blue but we then see the the background of of that where she says at another challenge we heard him say that he should be the one to do the puzzle because he has really steady hands and he lies in the moment and says that he's a personal trainer immediately caught in that lie and that's another great example like what you were saying before Omer about the fact that you felt like Romeo wasn't like being as open about 
details about his own life. And now Josh is doing the same thing because he's so worried about his threat level. But when it's so obvious to other people that you're lying or you're keeping things, I think that's more concerning than than them knowing that you're a surgeon. Yeah, I think the question in this situation, though, is like, did he tell his original tribe that he was a surgeon? <laughs> because if so, it doesn't really like otherwise that comment would have never really come up about having steady hands. But then if you told them, then like it does not make any sense to lie to another group who will find out eventually. So that's kind of a weird flex. But I think that also, you know, in the moment, if you hear somebody asking you that, there's probably a reason that they think that so then to immediately be like no 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 that's not the thing like I think you have to like wonder why they thought that to begin with and so um I thought that that was a bad judgment call in the moment but also if you're caught off guard I can see and you're at first and you didn't want to reveal that to begin with I could see why you would go that route but it, it didn't make sense yeah yeah, I think uh, that it was a very, I remember being caught very off guard by that question. I was like, wow, she is very perceptive. Uh, just guessing people's occupation. She should take that on the road. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was interesting to hear that. Like, I never really think of tribes overhearing other tribes at challenges on the mat and how that plays into the game. So that kind of opened my eyes of like, obviously like what you're what's happening at one challenge is not insular you're like you're there with everybody uh, and that was kind of an eye-opening comment to me which was very weird that after watching 43 seasons of survivor this is the first time i thought about that um mm -hmm. and so i thought that was a an interesting comment that was uh kind of opened my eyes to a different aspect of gameplay um in this season and just in general I think so too. And and I think honestly, what started making me think in Technicolor instead of black and white about some, some more strategies and some more depth of what's really going on out there is earlier in the season, Claire, we love you. We miss you. When Claire was taking the opportunity, yes, the Claire shirt, when Claire took the opportunity to, while she was sitting out to try and network and gain information that again, mm -hmm. I just chef's kiss can't get enough of that, but that just really brought to life in me, in my perception, opened up my eyes to the fact that there's so many extra little things, little tidbits, like you said, Omer, the vibes that people give off, their, their, their nonverbal communication, that's huge, and we're never going to fully understand, but very important to keep in mind. Yeah, we love the sit-out bench talk. Um, <laughs> our tribe never had the luxury of sitting anyone out, but it would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> So we're on Retu and Carson is now on Retu and Matthew is, is mad because Jamie, the person who he duped with the fake idol, is no longer on his tribe anymore and he is looking for a new sucker and he thinks that to an extent Carson will e either be his new sucker or just buy the information that he is falsely disseminating that he created about Jamie and what do we think? What do we think of Matthew's strategic attempt here? I thought it was so good in that he like has fully taken the heat off himself for having this idol. Like, I think that um, if Jamie ends up playing it and it's fake or whatever, she's going to have to know who, who somebody planted that. And I think that in hindsight, if she is perceptive enough to kind of go back and, and think about exactly what happened, like Matthew literally says to her, look in the dirt there. And then is there when you find it. And like all of these things are like clues in hindsight that 
maybe something wasn't quite right there. But at the same time, um, you know, when you're in the moment finding your idol, which I wouldn't know what that's like, but um, I assume that it's very like a very um, high moment. And and those little details may slip by the wayside of like, oh, he's the one that led you to that point to begin with and said something weird, like that looks like mud, even though it's dirt. Um, <laughs> so I think that that is interesting. But I think that, you know, he has a feasible cover story now to distract people from the fact of who has Ratu's new idol. And I think that he's also giving Intel to win over Carson. That's not going to hurt him in any way, really. I think that's brilliant. I think it's brilliant too. But wait, hold on. Let's back up for a second here, Omer. You did, you didn't find an idol, but you found the idol nullifier. You must have yes. been on the <laughs> high when you found that. Do you remember yes. every single detail or? Um, I do remember the details of that, but that was also, I, I mean, I barely found it. It was like literally in our face. So it was going to be hard to miss. Um, I do remember being like, oh, I'm so bad at looking for stuff. I'll never find anything. So I, I can't believe I found something and it's going to be on the show. That's crazy. And then it wasn't on the show. <laughs> so I, I do remember specifically thinking that. Um, but uh, like, I could never find just a random idol because I'm just so bad at seeing things that are right in front of my face. Well, maybe next yeah. time. The man look, clearly. <laughs> the man look is like, it's bad. Like, I can never find anything at work. And now I just tell people, they're like, can you get that thing? I'm like, I don't know where it is. I won't be able to find it. You should just do it. <laughs> you've ever seen me look for ketchup in a fridge, I would be horrible looking for an idol. On <laughs> yeah. It would be so bad. Do um, not enlist me to do that at all, ever. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> so Matthew has sort of, expanded his web of lies and I love that but also I personally would be scared if I was Matthew because I might be able to see things that are right in front of me or like have really good vision but you know what I don't have a great memory and I do not think that mm. I would be able to keep track of all of the lies that have started to compound you know he started with like a tier one lie like only one thread and now this is gone right. and it's branched out a little bit and what happens right. is the game progresses and they keep branching out omar how do you keep track of the lies in your head um i think that this that's a very um good point i think it's very difficult to do i think for me um i was telling a lot of lies during the game as everybody honestly is but um I think the thing that made it easy for me was that on an everyday basis, I have to work with like different patients completely. So you may have like a snake and then a bird, and then you may have four different rabbits, but they all have different problems. They're all on different medications. They all have different diseases. They all have different owners. Each owner has their own personality. Each owner has their own financial capability. Each owner has their own realistic expectations or unrealistic expectations about the situation. Each animal has a different reaction to the drugs they're on. Like you have to keep track of so many different things in a day. And when I'm talking to one owner, like I have to completely shut off what's happening with everything else and then have to go to the next room and completely code switch to that particular patient and address those concerns and forget about the previous conversation. So it's like I'm very used to like going from one person to another and catering to that particular situation because that is the important part of the job. So if you have anybody that is in a role where they may do that in real life. It doesn't have to be work-related. It could be socially. It could be um, it, like a hairdresser will talk to different people and have different things, you know, like there's 
I think that that is a skill that you can learn. Um, but it also takes practice to like think about things from other perspectives. And if you are caught up in your own, then that then keeping up with that sort of thing is very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And to switch at the drop of a hat, very difficult. And you know what? On Survivor, you have the benefit of not having doors. You have to open the door and then you, you see who you're dealing with and you have to yeah. like, you have no idea. You can't like even use the time that you're walking yeah. to approach them to try and yeah. think about. And you know who's actually doing that really, really well, I think is Carolyn. So if you look at the three people who found idols and planted fake ones, you have Carolyn, Matthew, and Danny. And Danny and Matthew, I think Matthew's doing a great job overall, don't get me wrong, but like there's little tells that I think are a sign of excitement and a sign of like really trying to push the agenda of knowing, like having somebody find their fake idol. So Danny and um, Matthew are both kind of going out of their way to goad someone into it. They're right at the scene of the crime, kind of pointing people in that direction. At one point, Danny says, they sh it should be in one of these like roots of the tree you know like these they are so focused on that particular thing happening and knowing who finds it and how to like lean into it like as soon as matt finds it danny's going up to matt and being like i know you have it and it's like again in hindsight these are the clues that somebody could look towards and that could be a dead giveaway matthew same thing with being right there when jamie finds it pointing her in the direction and then being there to talk about it whereas when carolyn when tika came up on the x the last person at least that we saw spoke was carolyn she didn't really even say much about it she's like i wonder what this is and then just like left it at that she was very peripheral and so she knows that from their perspective they have no reason to really suspect her and she so she just needs to play it cool and she, out of everybody, I think played that the best because there's no paper, there's no um, crumbs of evidence, at least from what we've seen, that will lead back to her in particular. That is an excellent point. And if they didn't first suspect her in the very beginning, when it was the four of them that came upon, you know, or the three of them that came upon the empty or the cage that was altered, and she was the only one who wasn't there, and nobody's immediate thought, which based on what we saw, they could have talked about it. But based on what we saw, no one was pointing the finger originally at Carolyn. So if she was doing that when there was more evidence and now there's less evidence and she's playing it cool, she's only making it better for herself. Yeah, yeah. So there we go, immunity challenge time, which before we get into the immunity challenge, they say it's a ray. But I'm not sure if it's a ray or a skate. I don't know the difference between rays and skates. Omer, which one? Uh, they're all in the same family. Uh, I think skates. You know what? I'm not the best with marine creatures, but I mean, they're all in the same family of like chondrichthys, which are cartilaginous fish. Um, so they're all kind of on a spectrum, but it could be, I felt like it was a manta ray, but we didn't really see the underneath to see if it had those big like raking gills that manta rays have um so it's, I, I think it's it's either a manta ray or a skate over a ray but i'm not 100 sure gotcha thank you the animal nerd in me needs to know these things i know <laughs> i know one of them yeah one of them flaps and one of them sort of like undulates and I can oh yeah, yeah yeah i yeah i think the stingrays undulate and then the the skates flap but i'm honestly not 100 sure listeners please enlighten us Anyway, 
So Ratu comes in on the boat for the immunity challenge and Lauren holds up the sword triumphantly. And I just love that the contestants are embracing the theme. What has been one of your favorite themes throughout Survivor history, Omer? Ooh, I love the race war. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I did not, did not care for that. There was no Indian tribe either. Um, I, let's see. I, I love the first time they did men versus women. I thought that was really fun. Um, I really liked heroes versus villains, but I do think it's an overrated season. Yikes. Um, I liked, uh, like, I think it's good, but it was too much wrestle for me. Um, I, I, I get that. I get that. Are you just jealous because he's so good at finding idols? (laughs) No, I mean, I, I, I don't think I could ever be jealous of Russell, but, um, and then maybe if from how many confessionals he's got, maybe that's the only thing. Um, and I really like brains versus brawn versus beauty. Cause I thought that was a fun, fun little twist and David versus Goliath ended up being fun. So I like a lot of the theme seasons to be honest, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I did not like care for healers, heroes, healers, hustlers. I thought that was a dumb theme, but um sorry was that the question i can't remember now because i got went off on a tangent you've given me so many answers and they're all acceptable so don't even worry (laughs) (laughs) so we have these challenges and you know they're all the same but i do like that they switched it up with the puzzle it was a very cool shape ray skate whatever it was it was it was very cool and so they have to jump and grab keys from the platform we've done this many times and I really think they did Lauren dirty because they played it in slow motion as she jumped and missed it. Why would, why? Um, I love, I mean, I think that's so fun. And I think that she wins the Lydia Chlamydia Award and I think that she embraces it. And I think that's the fun part of it. (laughs) It's true. Everyone's got to do it now. Someone's, someone's going to get it. They showed me doing a terrible dive into the water and I thought it was funny. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know what? That's fair, but did you show when you dove into the water right before that that you were incredibly nervous? Because all they showed of Lauren right before that was her petrified to jump. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, here she goes. Just kidding. <laughs> I thought it was so good. And I think I think she's embracing it from what I've seen on social media. Good. So. good. Okay. That makes me happy. And also, yeah. How do people dive so gracefully in the water? Franny and Brandon's form looked impeccable. Yeah impeccable like yeah truly I mean I didn't do it that way so I I don't know if they have advice I would like to hear it honestly well, Franny also does triathlons so I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure she swims a lot oh okay. so Franny. I, think, well, I don't know the triathlons but she does do like brains it, and brawn my yep. god mm-hmm. very impressive um another highlight from this challenge is Carolyn is on the balance beam and people are cheering for her and she puts her finger up to her mouth and she shushes them (laughs) I I just love that I can't imagine being in a situation where people are actively cheering me on and I'm just like stop it stop cheering me on (laughs) I can't it would be that situation I'd be like please I need to focus stop I get it I get it I don't know I feel like I would just tune everybody out but I respect that she told people what she needed in that moment <laughs> she'll never not tell you what she needs and that's great for her <laughs> that is great but unfortunately what everybody needs immunity Carolyn and Tika did not get and Ratu wins uh, second place and Soka wins first place and Tika is going back to tribal and as as always it's chaotic at Tika and 
they're talking because the dynamic has shifted because of Josh. And do you think that the obvious thing here is just to vote out Josh or are you skeptical and worry that he has something? Well, I mean, in line with the podcast theme, I think it really comes down to social connection. So if they don't really feel that with Josh, then they should get rid of him. If they do feel that, the thing is in a situation like this, it's very interesting because it's not a classical swap. There's three tribes, two other groups that have been playing the game for the same length of time as you, but you have no idea what's going on there and they have no loyalty to you at all. So if you have somebody coming in, it, that's a window, that's a connection to another full group. And you could build upon that and use that to have like a two tribe alliance sort of situation if that person has true and real connections. And I thought it was an interesting thing for Josh to say he's really tight with Soka because on paper, that's a bad move because, um, you know, <laughs> that you don't want to announce to the people that you're going to that you're really good with everybody on the other tribe. And I still don't think it's a good move, but it could have been done in, I think he could have said something somewhat to like, I have connections there, but not as fan, like, well, really well set up. And it's ironic that that's not even true, but um, I think that you could look at it as a window to work with another full group and not be so isolated as your own thing. But then if that's the case, you have to have somebody that you don't fully trust already. And I'm not sure that I think that Jam Jam probably felt he had both Sarah and Carolyn on lock I think Sarah was kind of just trying to hang on to some extent. Um, and obviously Carolyn found greener pastures. Yeah, and from a viewer's perspective, it sort of seemed obvious that Carolyn would would entertain something like that because little things that, that Jam Jam would say would get under her skin. And as Sarah says at Tribal, they do happen not rarely, but somewhat frequently to some extent. And maybe it's just from a viewer perspective that because we're seeing that highlighted, we're taking it more importantly. But what do you think, Omer? Do you think that those little comments, if someone is irritated by them, can build up and affect their game? Or do they happen more yeah. commonly and we just don't see it? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think um, this is a classical situation where Jam Jam didn't really read what Carolyn needed from him, which I think was to be more heard and not just to be bossed around and not to be disregarded. And um, Sarah and Carolyn clearly didn't have like the best relationship to begin with. So I think Jam Jam's relationship with Carolyn was strong enough to save him from that from going home um, and to me it seemed like brotherly sisterly squabbles but whether they'll reconnect or not like in a vote I think is going to be the answer to that question and if you know he may be able to rein things back in or he may not be but I think that he didn't read what she needed and I think that she made a move on her own which I think was impressive whether or not it was the right thing remains to be seen because I think she was actually in an okay position and I think what's interesting about the three from original Tika was that none of them were quite on the same page with one another. And the information that each one of them had would lead them to make a decision that may not have actually been in their strategic best interest. So for instance, Sarah was kind of at the bottom of Tika, but in her mind, like her and Jam Jam were becoming closer than her than Jam Jam and Carolyn. So she thought maybe she was number two but if she realized that maybe she was still under and like, and from her perspective too, you know, from what she sees, that's an okay read because Jam Jam's telling Carolyn, she's the split vote. So then in Sarah's mind, if 
Josh plays an idol. Carolyn's going, Jam Jam's protecting her. So maybe she really is number two. But what she doesn't know is that Jam Jam also knows that Carolyn has an idol. So even if Josh plays the idol and Carolyn's the backup, she just has to play her idol. And then Sarah goes on a revote and Sarah doesn't know that. So based on what she knows, it makes sense to stick with Tika. But based on what she doesn't know in the whole picture, it probably makes sense for her to flip to Josh. And so like you can look at each of their positions like that and they don't have all the information so they're not making the optimal plays and i also just think it was interesting like um my whole perception of all of that was that in from from a viewer's perspective the while it did seem like i think you said it really well a brotherly sisterly kind of squabble i was confused as to why like Carolyn was was going to go for Sarah rather than Jam Jam. Not that mm-hmm. I want to see Jam Jam go, but if Jam Jam is the one that you're having the problem with, uh, maybe not a problem all the time, but like if you are always the decoy vote and it is this person's idea, um, I was confused as to why he wasn't her target uh, and, and rather Sarah was the target. And maybe I'm forgetting, did Josh say that he wanted to go for Sarah or was that Carolyn? I can't remember. I feel like it's probably Carolyn's decision. And also in all of Sarah's exit press, she talked about how her and Carolyn didn't really have the best relationship because they didn't really connect in the same way. And I think that, um, you know, Carolyn's very expressive where Sarah's very reserved. And so she felt like maybe Carolyn never wanted to work with her. Um, So maybe Carolyn feels she has a better working relationship with Jam Jam, which is probably true. So Sarah's then the easy vote, I guess. But um, that's what it sounded like based on exit press. Yeah, well, regardless, we know Carolyn is going to always speak speak her mind, and I appreciate that. And she's also going to take her game into her own hands, which I also appreciate. So we get to Tribal, and right off the bat, Josh is, again, reiterating the fact that he was in a good position before, and now he's at the bottom of the barrel here. Maybe not the best thing you want to keep emphasizing at every possible opportunity, but obviously yep. it doesn't go too horribly for him because he does play his idol. But before we get into that, I'd like to dig into the whole by Felicia, I'm Felicia moment. Outrageous. Can I just say, so I watched the episode last night or yeah, yeah. Last night with Brian Corden and Brian was, we, we saw that the title of it was I'm Felicia. And Brian literally said the only people on this tribe that I can see say, or on this season that I I think say this, he literally says Carolyn and Jam Jam. And the fact that he called it and it was both of them, just iconic behavior. Um, And I just thought it was so funny that like, before, I'm, I'm pretty sure he called it before the episode started. It was incredible. Wow. It was incredible. Wow. And the fact that it didn't happen until Tribal Council, just pure gold. Great wow. read. Right? <laughs> yeah. So funny. I thought they were like selling it so hard that they wanted to work with Josh that it was obvious that they did not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've sensed that, but also that's the edited version too, to be fair, but... Yeah, Yeah. it did come off a little bit much. I mean, just the scene in the jungle prior to Tribal where Sarah just says, we want to work with you. We do. And something about just the way she said that and the inflection in her voice, I was like, come on. 
Come yeah. on. <laughs> Although I guess he kind of bought it until Carolyn broke the news, but yeah, um, this really was Carolyn's tribal council. <laughs> it was, it was, it was. Do you guys think I... she made the right move? Uh, yes. I think, I think she has to trust her gut. And I think that Carolyn is someone who trusts her gut a lot. Um, and I think if her gut is telling her that she isn't going to be able to work with Sarah in the long run, um, uh, and that she just kind of didn't need to take the power back a little bit. I, I, I kind of trust that she knows what will be best for her in the long run. I don't know that I particularly think that way for a lot of survivor players but i think in this particular case i think the built the bridge she built with josh is maybe a stronger bridge um than if she had just continued to forge fight with this relationship that maybe wasn't gonna happen with sarah whereas he she felt like she could actually work with josh so i actually think yes that this was actually a, a good a goodish move for her what if she voted for josh too but knew what was happening you know like then she can like still be in jam jams good graces like like uh like i can like vote for sit like she knew that like she knew that josh was gonna vote for sarah if he was gonna play an idol so that yeah. mm, that would that would have to be that would have to you would have to trust that josh would trust that you are telling the truth does that make sense yeah yeah um, we i don't want to spoil australian survivor but we kind of saw something like this in this season of australian survivor um, where somebody outright told somebody what was going to happen and they didn't really trust that person's word. And then they ended up not doing what needed to happen in order for that move to happen. I'm trying to be as yeah. inconspicuous as possible, um, but it, you just really have to know, you have to trust that that person trusts you. Um, sure. Maybe she wanted it to just be more cut and dry and more of a like i'm going to do this now and ask for forgiveness later later thinking that that brotherly sister relationship can give forgiveness maybe yeah but you do make a good point omer in the sense that if she could have gotten out of this situation with no blood on her hands whatsoever that only benefits her you know but i still think people they'll both want to work with her but um yeah it's going to be interesting absolutely and I'm also glad in a sense, I'm only glad that Sarah has gone for one singular reason. The inheritance advantage is no longer in the game for now. And what if she inherits it to someone else? <laughs> post, post elimination or like, like, yeah, writes, like writes where people get eliminated and they write it on the, on the, on the thing, write somebody's name. Like the legacy advantage. Yeah. Maybe it's not gone. Who knows? <laughs> I wouldn't be opposed to that. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of <laughs> sad to see that one go because I was super interested in that one specifically just to see the strategy behind that advantage because I think it could be like crazy, like wild. Right. And you make a lot of waves and I kind of was sad to see that one go. Opposite opinions. Opposite opinions. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm kind of in between. I kind of want to see how it would play out, but I think it was a little OP because you could imagine like three people playing idol at once. And then now somebody has three. That's pretty crazy. That would be wild. Would they have to play it right there? And then have we, that's the, that's the thing I want to, I have, I'm curious. I have questions that I need answers to about this advantage specifically, which is why I wanted it to stay in the game stuff. And in what way? Um, so would you have to keep, or would you just then have three idols to go home with? If you play this, um, event, I mean, or do you, have I think, so I think if you, so think about like, let's say she played it. So you have to play it in the voting booth. 
And then if three people play their idols and you survive that tribal council, you'll have them in your bag the next morning. Okay. Like okay. three full idols. Maybe I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas, and what's interesting about her is, you know, she lost her vote and could have been voted out pre-merge, but you know, at that first tribal council, she was in a situation where she didn't have a vote, but that advantage was not useful because if you're going to get voted out, then it has no benefit at all. Like you have to actually survive the tribal you played at um, in order for it to be useful at all. Yeah. Whereas at least Lauren's like, Lauren's is less powerful overall, but is more useful in the current situation. I think so too. What do you, and how do you feel about the bank of own advantage? Do you think that's the I mean, I, I, I like it more than most, I think, do. Um, I don't know. I, I actually quite like it because there's many times where you can kind of know where the vote's going. And then um, if you know the majority is voting a particular way, then it's easy to withhold that and then have something for the future. I think that the place where the extra votes really come in the most handy are when there's split tribals after the merge. Um, you know, there was a situation where Xander could have saved Evie by not even using an idol, but using an extra vote. I think those are the most useful situations to have them in. Um, or, I mean, I got voted out because of an extra vote too, but I would have been voted out regardless. It just would have been a tie. So, um, I think that, yeah, I think, I think it's, it is, it can be useful, but it's useful if it's a stealth move. Mm-hmm. And so I think her move to like, say I lost my vote, um, or the, or I could have won an extra vote was not the best lie to tell because, um, you know, then if you lose your vote and that's tangible, then you could also theoretically have nothing. But if you had to lose your vote to get that extra vote, and then you're saying you didn't get the extra vote, at least initially, that's um, not a great lie. (laughs) But I think that's why she came clean too. Yeah. Yeah. That was all she could do at that point, honestly. And also with Sarah gone as the fourth consecutive woman voted out last week we really dug into the biases that impact women in the new era of survivor and just mechanics and omar do you believe there's like an over importance put on traditional physical strength in the new era especially when the tribes are so small to begin with um i I mean i think that there's a lot of gender bias on survivor that's not a new thing (laughs) i think that's been happening since the start of the show and that's also why there is um you know, so many more male winners than female winners. Um, and, you know, even like dating back to early stages of the game, um, let me try to think of an example, but like, you know, I think if, for instance, Dawn, I think is a very good example in that Dawn, and I mean, obviously Dawn had some flaws in the game. And from some perspectives, I see like, you know, if, if, Brent, if Brenda really thought you were going to leave the game unless you saved her teeth and then her saving your teeth and then you still voting her out like that, that may cross a line, but at the same time, people like Dawn can make these moves and and face a lot more heat for them than somebody like Cochrane will face for doing the same things um, or similar things. And I think that, um, you know, in general, uh, not to make it a philosophical conversation, but I think that, you know, there is in the history of like Western society, there is this, um, this sort of overarching theme and thankfully it's changing, but that, you know, that men are the competitive people and that men deserve to compete and women don't necessarily do that. Um, And it's ingrained fully in the fact that, you know, most sports were mostly males. Um, And, and, you know, even looking at like 
the Olympics and hockey, like the men's hockey tournament is far more paid attention to than the women's one and stuff like that. And I think that when a man loses to a woman, sometimes it can be a situation where that feels like, um, like they took something from you. Whereas if a man blindsides a woman, the, the overarching theme is not that they took anything from them. And I think that that's the societal thing that's happened for a long time. And that's why women have had a hard time on the show. Um, in more recent times, yes. I mean, definitely having smaller tribes with no swap and a short and um, like an emphasis on physicality is going to result naturally in um, targeting of women early. And it's not really the player's fault as it is like the structure of the game. But um, I mean, survivors always had very physical challenges. I think the difference is that, you know, before it wasn't always the same format that was repeated multiple times to where it became so predictable into how you should play. Um, so I think that that is definitely a factor too. All really great points. And I mean, people who are, who are underestimating uh, Olympics specifically for women have not seen the blazing speed of Crystal Cox. <laughs> of course not. Therein, therein lies the issue. And may I also point out the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't um, Cochrane who broke or crushed multiple vertebrae in a challenge. It was Dawn who was yeah. wearing all of that weight and kicking major ass. So very they good. Have not repeated that since. Um, that, that challenge. Ball, lots of things. <laughs> They discontinued for good reason, but I don't want to cut you off, off Tegwith. No, I just, you know, it's all, you, you said it all. Like uh, last week I was crying. This week I was laughing because I, I kind of saw it coming from, uh, from miles away um, because, you know, I got all of the tears out of my body. It's, it's now just uh, laughter because it's uh, so predictable. Like, um, you know, and, and, and the thing I really want to make sure that, everyone knows and everyone hears because I on my TikTok was talking about this and and a lot of people were like well but the women the women voted the women out so how is it a problem with the thing and I was like okay well you're not like people don't go on survivor and I'm not saying this is not the case for all the time there have been times where people kind of put their own game to the side to for the betterment of like the world. Um, and I don't, that is something that should not be the norm because survivor is an individual game. You should be, you shouldn't have to carry the weight of a lot of other things on survivor, but the truth is, is, is you do. And so like people were saying, but like the reason Sarah's gone is because of Carolyn. And I'm like, well, that's because it's good for Carolyn's game, but it's, it's the, the, the problem is not the people, no one goes on Survivor and is like, I am going to vote out all the women. Like, that's no one's thought process. Um, and so it's just like, there obviously, there just has to be, there's going to be a round table. Survivor producers have to sit down and just really like, <laughs> like, seriously, I'm just laughing because I don't, I'm so tired of it. And I just don't know how to handle it other than to laugh. Um, but, you know, four for four. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a summation of the parts too. Like, I mean, even in this season, like if you look at each vote individually, like Brandon was supposed to go home first. Josh was supposed to go home this time, yep. but idol plays put different people out of the game. And like on an individual level, Carolyn targeting Sarah is a social, there's a social reason for that more than a physical reason for that. But um, if you had a situation where everything was random, 
you know, there still, still should be 50-50 or as close to that as possible. And that's not really happening overall within the last two, three, four seasons, um, but especially the last two. And I do think that that is largely, I mean, also like as a player there, like when we're faced with voting out Marianne or Mariah, like really it is, it is a situation that's like, we know how physical these challenges are and we can't lose. And so we have to vote one of the people out that are probably the weakest. And I was surprised that I was not one of the weakest, but it was what it was. And, um, you know, it's hard, but I think that the solution to it is changing the game structure multiple times. And also things happen cyclically and you don't see the um, efforts till later on. So like, you know, you had Marianne Gabler winning and then, you know, who knows, maybe Carolyn will win. Maybe somebody else that's a big personality will win. Who's to say, but like, you know, the effects of people playing that this time, they didn't know that Gabler won. They didn't know. I mean, 43 didn't know Marianne won unless they read stuff online or whatever. Like, um, so it's, you know, the effect of that will be in subsequent seasons because they, they filmed two in a row, you know, and then these people didn't know a swap would happen. Now future players are going to know that that's possible. So you're going to see the game change over time. But I think that in general, Survivor is best when it is truly unpredictable. And when it becomes very formulaic, it can be a problem. But on the the devil's advocate to that is that sometimes um, you get your best, most shocked reactions when you're lulled into a false sense of complacency. And so establishing a, um, like even a very early Survivor, you know, two full seasons of eight tribes to you know merge at 10 then you get a swap and that's shocking and then two seasons later you get a fake merge that's shocking so establishing a pattern so that you can disrupt it later is also um a good thing sometimes too so we'll see what happens that's true and incremental change and as you said it does take it does take time for the changes to really be seen and have that ripple effect just like the game is about adaptation the process of changing the game is also about adaptation and they're going to do things that work and they're going to do things that don't and they can't change everything at once. So it's going to unfortunately take some patience, but I hope until we get to a point where this aspect has improved, we don't have, you know, more idols than women continue to be. (laughs) Wait, did that statistic include actual idols? Or it was, yeah, because there are, there are, Carolyn has an idol. Um, Matt has an idol and what's his name? The firefighter has an idol. And then the three people who went to, so now I think it's tied idols and women are now tied. Cause Josh played um, his, his idol. Cause I think that means five idols are in the game. Jamie has one and Carson has one. And then the three real big ones. Cause I think if there are nine women on this season, four got voted out, that leaves five, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there was six and six and then five and five now, but still kind of wild. (laughs) Sleep on that. that. Yeah. Now on to award season. It is time, our favorite time in the podcast, where we award the most and least socially capable players of the episode. The social butterfly award is given to the player that we feel did an exceptional job socially this week. And Omer, I'd like to have you start if you want. Is there anybody you think plays um, socially? Yeah, I mean, I think that I would have to go with Matthew because um, out of all three tribes, you know, uh, Ratu is the, really the one that embraced their new person rather than targeting them off the bat. And he's taking it as an opportunity to gain an alliance as opposed to um, 
isolate them. And he's really the only one across all the tribes other than, I guess, Carolyn to some extent, but she was also alienating her own tribe in the process of doing that. Um, so I think that Matthew um, played the best socially this, this episode. And then I guess the least, um, you know, I, th I think it probably has to be, it's hard because I think that everybody on Tika, all four of them did things right and did things wrong. Um, but I think that because I'm going to have to give it to Josh just because it seemed that there were misreads on both sides of the aisle with original Soka and the new Tika tribe. And, and Carolyn did come in and kind of save the day there. Um, but with Carolyn, like, you know, she isolated some of her tribe with the decision that she made, but made a new friend. Jam Jam, you know, didn't really read what Carolyn needed from him and has isolated Josh, but was trying to rally his tribe and was good with Sarah. And then Sarah, you know, was trying to make amends and bring her team together, but then didn't fully have Carolyn or Josh. So I think that they all did good and bad. Mm -hmm. I agree. I yeah, I agree. I think I'm actually going to have to agree with you on Matthew. I was originally, I don't even remember who I was going to do originally, um, but I didn't think of Matthew. And I think you convinced me because you are correct. Like I, I, he did reach out to Carson, like he's using his knowledge. He's using his, uh, plant, plant parent Alliance, um, as kind of, uh, getting him further with mm -hmm. other alliances. Um, and I think that that is, that shows some good social acumen. So I think you're right. I think Matthew is a very good winner for this week for me. Um, and then in terms of my uh, struggle boss driver, um, I actually think I'm going to go with Jam Jam. And I'm not saying because I think he actually did the the, the worst socially this week. Um, but it's almost like, I think I, it's almost like I had him so high up that I didn't think that he could, you know, it makes somebody feel like how he did to Carolyn um, so much so that she voted against him. Like, I think that shows a lot of, of how putting her out as the, as the default in such a way, like, you know, made her even go with somebody brand new. And I think that that is why I, I think I would have to go with jam jam this week um, for me personally. All right, so in summary, we're all in agreement about the Social Butterfly Award. Congratulations, Matthew. You didn't even need two functioning arms to be able to win it this week. So it just shows that that everybody is, is capable. And, you know, we saw Jamie, who was the first driver of the Social Struggle Bus for us first week. And then last week, she won the Social Butterfly Award. So anything can happen. And uh, I am in agreement with you, Omer. I think that Josh is the best choice for the Social Struggle Bus Award. And you know what? There's always room for improvement. He may not have, have an idol in his pocket anymore, but there is still time to, to gain capital in a social way and an advantage way. I mean, five advantages or five idols in the game. They, everyone should just start with an idol at this point. I mean, <laughs> let's be real. That would be wild. Really? <laughs> You get there, you get your water bottle, you get a little note in your bag, you get your water bottle, you get your bag, and you get a little note saying, here, here you go, have an idol, everyone has one. Go for it. Season 45, it's coming for us. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to Survivor Social, and most of all, I want to thank our incredible guest, Omer, for joining us and providing his insight. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much, Omer. It's so much fun talking about this season and everything going on. And I love 
to get an expert's insight, someone who has the 411 <laughs> who's dialed in. So, uh, so really, really, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And make sure to like and subscribe to Survivor Now on YouTube and Spotify. And we would love to have discourse with all of you. So please um, message us and email us at survivorsocialpod at gmail.com. And we'll read your questions here. And thanks again for listening. And we will catch up with you, our fellow Survivor Socialites, next week here on Survivor Social.